the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Gee, do I do all that? Talk about multi-talented. <laughs> Who writes all this anyway? Oh, wait, I think I wrote that. Well, anyway. <laughs> hey, good to have you with us. Welcome. It's um, Thursday already, sixth day of January. Hope you're having a good day so far and uh, ready to be inspired, challenged, educated, and all that good stuff on this edition of Lifeline. Lots to talk about. We're going to get a chance to uh, give you a bit of a sneak peek into the upcoming 18th annual Walk for Life West Coast. That'll be coming to the Bay Area on uh, 22nd of January. And so we'll talk a bit about that. We're also going to get a look into an issue. We've been calling for the governor to uh, to veto this, and we're going to ask you to join us in this effort. Senate Bill 357 is going to make it significantly more difficult for law enforcement to deal with prostitution and sex trafficking. And uh, we're going to talk a bit with Dr. Stephanie Powell, who's the Director of Law Enforcement Training at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, about why it is so critically important that we all rally together and encourage the governor to veto Senate Bill 357. So we'll get to that a little bit later on in the program tonight. I want to start out with (laughs) a bit of classic, typical California irony. Uh, we uh, we had a governor uh, for 500 years, I think, here, who, or seemed like it, who wanted to build a light rail down to Southern California, and this was going to modernize transportation. Of course, the project is yet to be completed in billions of dollars over project, or over budget, rather. And, and you would think that managing budgets ought to be something that a state the size of California, with the amount of money that we have to manage, would be good at this. But no au contraire, and our first guest tonight shines a spotlight on a bit of tragic irony as California has been attempting to put into place updated systems that would give the state a greater degree of ability of controlling not only when the money is coming in, but where the money is going out, how it's being spent. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You would think that this would be something that, in short order, with all the technology that's based in California, could be accomplished. But interestingly enough, and perhaps not a surprise at all, once again, the so-called FISCAL, F-I-S-C-A-L, system here in California, it's not only 
hundreds of millions of dollars over budget, but has been kicking this can down the road for so many years that by the time it finally gets done, <laughs> they'll need a new system. Dr. Lonnie Chen joins us, candidate for California Controller, Director of Domestic Policy Studies in the Public Policy Program at Stanford University. Dr. Chen, always a delight to have you with us. And I, I read this story and I thought, you know, isn't it just like California to spend way too much money on a project that's taking way too long that by the time they declare it finally done will undoubtedly be outmoded? Yeah, well, Craig, it's great to be with you yet again. And, and it is classic uh, state government. It's classic Sacramento politician uh, kind of thing that you hear about, which is you have this system that the state tried to put together, uh, actually started about a decade ago. They started to put together this program, which was designed to provide some accountability into our uh, into our state spending. And of course, a decade later, the thing still isn't done. It doesn't do nearly the number of things that they promised it would do. And, you know, it's already over budget. Uh, it, it's cost us about a billion dollars to put together this program that doesn't even work. Now, I like to give people a little context, Craig. If you think about how long it took us to go to the moon after President Kennedy said we should go to the moon, that was seven years, okay? It took us four years to build the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's been eight years, and we still can't get a basic piece of accounting software yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. So that tells you everything you need to know about California. And, and in a state that is kind of the you know ground zero for uh, information technology. And, and what's troubling about this is not just the overrun of the budget, not just the number of times, Dr. Chen, that this can has been kicked down the road, but there's a broader and deeper and more significant implication in all of this for every Californian, and that is that it denies the state, in a very real sense, the ability to be able to track how the spending is taking place. And I understand big state Lots of departments, lots of, you know, moving parts, as the saying goes. But lacking this system really handicaps the state's ability to to engage in cost control measures and in the kind of, shall we say, of forensic accounting systems that are necessary to keep an eye on how the money is flowing here in California. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that is the key problem with all of this. You know, it's not just about a system that's that's late. It's about a lack of accountability, and it's about an attitude that basically says, you know, we don't really care what taxpayers think in terms of, of how we're spending their money. That kind of attitude has driven, uh, I think, the kind of uh, lack of transparency that we've seen. You know, one of the things I think I've mentioned uh, to your listeners before, Craig, is that in 2018, the state of California issued $300 billion worth of payments, $300 billion with a B. And yet the state is unable or perhaps unwilling to tell us where each of those $300 billion worth of payments went. They don't have a ledger of where those payments went. And, and the theory was, well, you know, at some point we're going to put together this accounting program we we're talking about now, fiscal, and that's going to help solve the problem. But now we know that didn't, you know, that program, A, it doesn't work, B, it's not done yet, and C, it won't solve the problem. So here we are uh, in a very difficult situation, which is we are spending hundreds of billions of dollars a year on problems in our state which aren't getting any better. You look at the homelessness problem, you look at public safety issues, you look at the cost of living, these problems are not getting better, Craig, and yet we keep spending billions and billions of dollars on them. Something is wrong in the state. 
And the other frustrating thing is, and we've seen this even happen at the national level, Dr. Chen, uh, infamously this was an issue with the IRS that, that might by now have been resolved, although the likelihood is probably not, that with the delays, beyond the fact that it denies the state the ability to really engage in better control of how the spending is taking place across, again, multiple departments at multiple levels throughout the state. But the other issue, too, here is by the time it finally gets done, most of the people that are involved in modern-day accounting say, well, that's a nice system, but, uh, you know, most of business in this state came off of that system 10 years ago. It's now outdated. Yeah. It, you know, this is almost the equivalent of announcing the state of California is pleased to announce that they're working on installing Windows 98. <laughs> you know? it's like, well, good Windows, for you. Windows and for the rest 95. of us, exactly. And, and the rest of us yeah. have long since. So by the time it finally gets up and running, then you run into an issue where there's, it's, it's like widening freeways in California. They widen it by one lane. By the time the work gets done, then they have to announce, oh, we're going to start on a lane widening project because the one lane wasn't sufficient. So we wind up spending twice as much money and three times the amount of time. Well, you know, this is the frustrating part of it, Craig, is we're, we're in the cradle of innovation here, right? You look around, certainly the Bay Area, you see all sorts of innovative companies and technologies that have started here. By the way, many of them have now left California because they can't afford to have their employees live here or run their businesses here, but that's a different point. The idea that we cannot have an innovative system to track and handle uh, basic transparency functions of how our state spends money is just ludicrous. I mean, wh- why don't we have, Craig, an app that you can just open up on your phone that says, hey, here's where our state is spending money. You know, we got an app for everything else. Why don't we have an app for basic accountability functions? That's something I'd love to do on day one as controller, come in and create an app that people can just open up their phones and say, hey, how are we spending our money? You know, I'm kind of curious how we spent the, the, the billions of dollars on homelessness or all this money we're spending on health care. Where's all that money going? And, and so uh, I just don't understand why uh, government is so inefficient. And I think part of the reason why is because maybe at some level, the Sacramento politicians don't want us seeing what they're spending our money on. Mm. I, I really think at some level, I hate to be cynical, but I do think at some level that's part of it. Well, I, you know what? I think that's, that's, that is a, a bigger part of this equation uh, than even you are willing to acknowledge. I'll never forget a conversation that I had many, many years ago with Arnold Schwarzenegger when he first came into the job as governor. And we were in a private conversation and talking about many of the ideas and visions that he had for the state of California. One of the platform issues that he ran on that he was eager to get implemented was a top to bottom up down audit of the entire state to really understand where the money is going that never came to fruition not because of lack of trying on the governor's part but because i've got to believe that there are certain layers within the state of california that prefer to operate in the shadows because if the totality of what was being spent and where fully came to light where everybody could see okay you know what what is the what is the, i don't know pick an apartment what does the dmv spend in, in in copy machine paper if we could actually see those numbers i think most californians would be so upset and so outraged they'd all show up on the state capitol steps with pick forts and 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 uh, and torches and want to burn the place down so i've got to believe part of this sadly is probably quite intentional yeah you know we we do need by the way this concept of a, of a forensic audit we need to be going into every single state agency and, and doing basic audits 
and, and very deep dive audits to help us understand exactly how this money is being spent. That's one of the things that people don't realize about this controller office that I'm running for. The state controller actually has the ability to audit any state agency at any time for any reason. And so we'll go in there and, and we'll do an audit a day. You know, we'll take a look at every single agency and say, how do we get in there and make this agency more efficient? How do we reveal to people exactly what's going on? I really believe knowledge is power. And the more information taxpayers have, the better able they'll be to hold government accountable. And ultimately, and, that's what we should want. That's what we need. And, and there, indeed, lies the bottom line, and that is greater degrees of accountability. If you were able to conduct such an audit, I, I would imagine you'd find out that, for example, the state of California Department of Transportation probably still has a budget somewhere to purchase buggy whips. And they're probably still spending <laughs> the money to this very day, even though the horse and buggy went out 100 years ago. Dr. Chen, if folks want to find Find yeah. out more about your campaign for California Controller, many of the ideas that you're wanting to push forward to make California more efficient, more accountable to the voters and taxpayers. Where can they get more information? Yeah, they should look up my website, which is chenforcalifornia.com, C-H-E-N-F-O-R, California.com, or visit me on Facebook. Check out my page to find out more about my campaign and the ideas. We need somebody like Dr. Chen in office that can, again, bring a greater sense of accountability back to the state and give us a real true sense of what's going on here. Dr. Nlani Chen, information again about his campaign as candidate for California controller at chenforcalifornia.com. That's Chen, the F-O-R, chenforcalifornia.com. Our thanks to Dr. Nlani Chen for that update on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. 2005, I was contacted by Eva Montaigne and Dolores Meehan. They wanted to come in studio and to promote something that they wanted to do. They wanted to sort of take the concept of the walk for life that had been used in Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, other parts of the country, and replicate it here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, certainly as a pro-life person, I was encouraged by this. I thought it was a great idea, but I also cautioned them to set their expectations at an appropriate level because, after all, this is not only California. This is the San Francisco Bay Area. (laughs) Little would I have imagined in 2005 that almost 20 years later, we would not only still be talking about the Walk for Life, but that the Walk for Life in San Francisco would be one of the largest in the nation. Joining me now is the coordinator with Silent No More Awareness for Los Angeles County. She's going to be one of the uh, keynote speakers at the upcoming San Francisco Walk for Life, the 18th annual such event. That'll be on the 22nd of January. Irene Zamorano, our jockey, joins us now. And Irene, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. And what a delight and joy to see 18 years later, still going strong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's talk a bit about what's going to be going on at this event. You know, last year we, we kind of had some concerns. Well, what about the impact of COVID? And we might see a, a, a lower attendance, and this usually happens in January. So we got cold and wet, rainy weather, things of this sort. And it turned out last year was one of the biggest walks in not only Bay Area history, but in the history of walks for life across the country. Yeah, isn't that phenomenal? This year, of course, uh, hoping to uh, to repeat that, 
Tell us a bit about what's going to be going on at this special event coming up on Saturday the 22nd. So, no, like you have mentioned, I'm a regional coordinator for Silent No More, where we are post-abortive uh, women, men, and family members, um, and we share our testimonies about the impact of abortion. So we have a stage set up, a smaller stage set up, kind of on the side of the larger stage, where we will be giving our testimonies, um, I would say about an hour beforehand, you know, as the crowd is coming and stuff, and we'll be sharing our testimonies about the negative impacts, spiritual, physical um, impacts of abortion, and then I will be giving my late-term abortion testimony on the, on the main stage there during the rally. So lots going on, and uh, people have an opportunity to not only hear from great keynoters like yourself, Lila Rose, the founder of Live Action, is going to be one of the speakers. Uh, our dear friend, Reverend Clenard uh, Childress from blackgenocide.org will also be uh, one of the keynote speakers. And this is going to include not just uh, the march, of course, but you, you mentioned um, some of the, the pre-event of things taking place that includes this Silent No More awareness campaign that gets underway at 10.45 a.m. Tell us a bit more about that. Okay, it's where um, usually people from the West Coast will come and share their testimony. So we have some ladies coming from um, New Mexico, uh, as far as New Mexico, to share their testimony. And like I said, it's not just for, it, you know, abortion a lot a lot of times people only focus on the women, and of course, uh, rightfully so, but it's also we speak about the shockwaves of abortion. So it's not just the women, you know, being impacted by abortion, but it's also their children, it's also the father, um, sometimes the grandparents, uh, friends that, are, that have ha- either helped them get the abortion, forced them to get the abortion, and then later, in, you know, for whatever reason, uh, realize what they did, and now... Is, it's a regret for them. So they, we will be having women, men um, share their testimonies. Father Frank Pavone uh, will also be there, so we, I will be co-hosting with them. Um, you know, the for everybody to share their testimony beforehand, before the rally comes. And uh, Frank Pavone, as you mentioned, Father Frank Pavone from uh, Priest for Life, he's been a, a guest on this program a number of times. He is an excellent speaker. So there's going to be a lot of good information for people to uh, to be exposed to, some encouraging testimonies, and, and of course, the opportunity to um, be there and uh, be part of the info fair. And then, of course, that main event uh, that begins uh, with the walk, a rally at 12.30, the walk at 1.30 p.m. And where exactly will that be traversing from and to? You know, I am not sure. I haven't received the... I haven't looked at the map quite yet. I apologize for no, that. No, no problem. My, my guess is it's probably going from Justin Herman Plaza to, um, to Civic Center or maybe, the, maybe in the opposite direction. But we've got, we've got time enough to, uh, to figure all that out. And, uh, you know, again, this is going to be the, the 18th annual walk, so we're encouraging people to come out, uh, be a part of all of this. And uh, is there opportunity or any needs, Irene, from your understanding for folks to get involved in terms of volunteerism? 
Um, I don't have any information about that. I apologize regarding the Walk for Life. Okay. Well, folks can certainly go online and get more information. Um, undoubtedly, uh, there's going to be, and I'll have to go to the website myself to see if there's a place where you can sign up and, and volunteer to be uh, to be involved. But in the very least, we want you to be involved and to be sure to tell your friends about it. Again, the date for this 18th annual Walk for Life will be Saturday, January the 22nd. And uh, it's going to begin, let me just walk through the calendar here for you, the time schedule rather. It's going to begin with the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, which is being spearheaded by Irene at 1045 a.m. That will run from 1045 to 1215. Uh, the the vendors fair will be open from 11 a.m. to 12:30, so you can come and learn about many of the ways in which you can get involved in supporting the pro-life movement. And then, of course, that main event, the uh, the rally at 12:30, and then the walk that begins at 1:30 p.m. And the rally is going to be at Civic Center Plaza. So it sounds like they're going to go from Civic Center Plaza, <clears throat> as I'm reading this to Justin Herman. Again, that's coming up on Saturday, the 22nd of January. It'll be the 18th annual Walk for Life. And complete details and more information available on the web at Walk for Life WC. Think West Coast. Walk for Life WC dot com. Again, that's Walk for Life. WC for westcoast.com. Our thanks to Irene Zamorano Araki for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation 532 here on this Thursday edition of Lifeline. And uh, I want to stay on the topic of pro life for a moment, if we might, in addition to um, the importance of. Being counted, giving voice to the unborn, which is so much of what the March for Life is all about and has been so successful about in terms of raising awareness uh, every year. But one of the other arenas where we need to, I think, critically raise more awareness, and that is for women that are facing unplanned pregnancies that quite often feel as if they're being backed into a corner. And in some respects, they are. Abortion is big business big money to be made, and it is in the interest of organizations like Planned Parenthood, who, by the way, does very little planning for parenthood. In fact, if anything, they're there to help terminate parenthood and seldom offer women the totality of the options that are available to them. If this is really about choice, they would be as much in favor of promoting things like carrying a child to term and putting it up for adoption as they do abortion. But at the end of the day, of course, we know it's not about that. It's about the money. So let's get a look at the kind of difference that giving women real options is all about. Ryan Baumberger joins us again. He's co-founder and chief creative officer of the Radiance Foundation. They spend a lot of what they do in helping to do this very thing, better educate people about the totality of what the options look like. Ryan, great to have you back with us. Did we lose Ryan? We, he hung up on me? You know, people do that every now and then. I just, you know, I, I, I have that effect on folks. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we'll do a little bit of speed dialing here and see if we can't get him back on the, uh, on the line here quickly. And uh, these are the moments in live radio that you just come to cherish. Right? Big build up, And then all of a sudden... We managed to drive the car right off the edge of the cliff. There we are. Okay, put them on. Let's rock and roll. 
So, Ryan, as I was saying, oh, his landline is broken. I got to call him on the cell phone. So says my uh, my engineer. Okay, well we'll do that. Dialing quickly here. You want, shall we all confuse him and just shout out a bunch of random numbers and really mess with him? <laughs> no, we don't want to do that. Okay. These things do happen occasionally. Uh, technology, what a joy. Okay, once more with feeling. Uh, Ryan, sorry about that. Um, so uh, let me pick up where I left off. I was asking you about um, th- this idea that oftentimes um, the, the real agenda when it comes to the abortion movements is all about money, that it really isn't about choice, that if they were true to what they promote, they would gladly be encouraging women to explore the totality of the options that are available to them, including carrying a child to term and putting the child up for adoption. The problem, of course, is were they to do that, they'd lose out on a lot of money. A lot of money. And by the way, I'm the one who's sorry. (laughs) Technical glitches happen, and then apparently it's on our side. But when it comes to Planned Parenthood, there's no glitch. They actually want abortion to happen because it's their main revenue generator. It's why they bring in $2.3 billion in assets. People need to understand this. It's not because of the breast cancer exams or PAP tests or prenatal services, because those medical services have been plummeting for over 10 years at Planned Parenthood. It's because of abortion. It's why in their last annual report, they brought in $70 million in profit. It's their big money maker. It's why in Texas, when, you know, the Heartbeat Act passed, and they refused. <laughs> they, they fought against the, the ban. They refused with Title X funding. They refused to actually um, change their, their practices with abortion being their main focus because they don't want to give up their revenue generating. Wow. And, you know, you just kind of let that sort of bubble in your mind for a moment that this multi-million, billion-dollar organization that receives a good deal of its funding directly from you and I through tax dollars, through government tax dollars, um, is all about withholding information because it's in their own personal financial best interest. And in the process, they care very little, if anything, about the woman. I mean, again, if they would, they would say, hey, we want to make sure that every woman has the full sort of menu in front of them of what their their potential choices and options are in addressing this unplanned pregnancy. But um, quite to the contrary, it's all about maintaining control over the information and as a result being able to control the flow of money. And it's it's tragic that that's the case, but that's exactly where, where things stand. And, you know, the, the other part of the story, and I want to have you touch on this for the benefit of listeners, Ryan, that are not familiar with your own testimony. Uh, yours is one that is demonstrative of the power of information, of what real choice looks like. And you're, you're someone who, even as you mentioned in your own testimony, while perhaps conceived in rape, you were adopted in love. Tell us a bit about your story. Yes, I, I literally am the 1% that's used 100% of the time to justify abortion. And this is what the pro-abortion side does. It's just a tactic to dehumanize. But yet, what they miss out on is the courage of my birth mom. She went through that, that horror and that violence of rape, yet she chose to be stronger than abortion. And this is part of the story that mainstream media doesn't want to tell. They don't want to talk about the stories of women choosing to be stronger than abortion. 
because their whole advocacy, their whole line is that abortion makes women equal. Of course it doesn't. It makes them exploited. And that's, that's why I'm so grateful to my birth mom for choosing not only to give me the incredible gift of life, but the incredible gift of adoption. I grew up in a tiny family of 15, you could say. A typical American family of six brothers and six sisters, and ten of us were adopted. And we all carry a story of the supposedly unplanned that will equal unwanted, that will equal unloved. And my parents shattered that myth of the unwanted child. Wow. And, you know, that really speaks to not only how large and generous their hearts are, but that they were willing to give children that otherwise would, quote-unquote, be unwanted an opportunity at life. And I guess at the end of the day, that's all we're really asking for here, is just to give children an opportunity. Right, and we, we value the lives of all three, though. We value the lives of the unborn child, of the mother, and the father. Of course, when I say the unborn child, we also care about the child once, once he or she is born. And that's why I, that mantra, pro-lifers don't care about you after they're born. We are the ones who care about people after they're born. My parents cared about 10 children that were not biologically theirs. They cared for them. They cared for me and loved us incredibly and allowed our lives to flourish. They unleashed God-given purpose in each of our lives. Is it, in your opinion, Ryan, important that we basically call the bluff of organizations like Planned Parenthood? I mean, I I remember several years ago when there was talk under the Trump administration about uh, further defunding, and suddenly they came out with this huge announcement. Well, what would happen to all of the women that come to us that are not uh, here for family planning services, but rather just to receive mammograms, and they're concerned about the potentiality of becoming victims of breast cancer, things of this sort. And, of course, later on it was found out that very few of any of the Planned Parenthood uh, centers across the country do mammograms at all. They would simply refer to uh, doctors and clinics and organizations that did so, but under the guise of uh, providing total and complete services for women, they, they sort of tried to, you know, uh, play the, the uh, oh, look over there trick, you know? Uh, so I, is it important in your viewpoint that, that this organization be called out for its lies and manipulation? 100%. It's why my wife, Bethany, and I do this all the time for the Radiance Foundation. We illuminate the fraud that is Planned Parenthood. One of the fact sheets, for instance, you can get from our website is called Less Care No Matter What. And you see, for instance, breast cancer exams are down 64% in the last 10 years. Pap tests are down 65%. Prenatal services down 73%. And what all that means, you don't need to remember all the numbers. Just know that when they say, well, abortion is not all we do. Abortion is only 3% of our services, which is a lie. It brings in over 90% of their health services revenue. But when they say that, they always say, well, look at all the other things that we do. The mainstream media doesn't look at those. We do. And we said, well, we're looking at the major medical services to women and what's happening. They are all plummeting. It is all exploitation. It's a sham. The whole thing with mammograms, like live action, friends of ours at live action talk about it being a mamma sham. Not one single Planned Parenthood owns a single mammogram machine. They, yet they claim to be a leading you know, women's health care provider. Only 0.1% of their services are prenatal services. So for the women who, who don't choose abortion, what about them? Well, Planned Parenthood doesn't really have any use for them. That's why they barely offer any prenatal services. Years ago, Carol Everett was a guest on this program. In fact, many times she was a guest on this program. Um, she wrote a book called Blood Money, where she talks about her own experience as a clinic operator 
I want to say down in the south in Texas, and the the staggering amount of money that crossed through their organization every day, and then in turn, of course, there was pain of doctors and so on and so forth. Uh, if you had to hazard a guess, when we talk about, because, you know, the old adage, you want to know the real story, follow the money. If we follow the money, how much are we talking about here, Ryan, in terms of the amount of money that's changing hands because of what Planned Parenthood does in the abortion arena? Well, keep in mind, their, their revenue each year in the last reported year is over $2 billion. They have 2.3 billion. Whoa, 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 I'm sorry. I, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. I, mean, I don't want to be rude, Ryan, but you said... Two million or two billion? Billion with a big old B. Wow. This is what they do. And just keep in mind that this is an organization that in the last 10 years has also lost 600,000. They serve 600,000 less clients each year. Yet they somehow continue to increase the amount of taxpayer money that's siphoned off and given to them. In the last year, $618 million. So this is a racket. The only service, I'm putting that in quotes, that is not down is abortion. We have been so it, – it's, it's America's biggest hopes. They claim to be some health care provider. They're a political action group. They're a radically pro-abortion political action group that pushes abortion on vulnerable women and exploits you know, the situation. They, they exploit fear to generate a massive, massive profit. I just did some math, just out of curiosity. The most recent uh, um, survey numbers here for the census, about 320 million Americans. That's men, women, boys, and girls. And uh, that that comes to an annual revenue source of $6.25 for every single human being that's uh, sitting here on the terra firma called the United States of America. $6.25 for every single a man, woman, boy, and girl. 320 million people. That's a lot of money. Don't don't, don't folks like Amazon wish they they had a little slice of that. Wow. Yeah, it's it's the biggest con that's going on to get taxpayer funding when you're a multi-billion dollar organization, and especially the nature of your business, which is to kill human lives. We shouldn't be spending a cent. We shouldn't have to be forced to pay a cent for Planned Parenthood. No, and, and, and calling the bluff is as important, I think, as also educating women and equipping them with the knowledge and power so that if they, when they find themselves in a unplanned pregnancy, that they really understand the totality of the options that are available to them. And, of course, carrying a child to term, lovingly put that child up for adoption, Probably one of the greatest things that any human being can do is to is to give life to another. I'm grateful for it. I'm an adoptive dad too. I have four kiddos, two of whom were adopted, and they're definitely loved. All four of my kiddos are loved like crazy. But we can't forget either in that equation, um, the pregnancy medical centers, the pregnancy care centers. There's about three thousand. They love on and they care for these women facing unplanned pregnancies. They help mentor young men to help understand how to be better fathers. I mean, there are resources of help out there that are just full of compassion and waiting to help those who are facing the fear and the uncertainty of unplanned pregnancy. No, and that's one of the big reasons why we're big supporters of organizations like Real Options that operates a number of medical facilities here in the San Francisco Bay Area that truly provides women with real options and uh, why we love organizations like yours that are helping to provide knowledge. Knowledge is power, of course, that can literally be life-changing and life-saving. 
Ryan Bonberger, co-founder, chief creative officer with the Radiance Foundation. More information about his good work online at theradiancefoundation.org. That's theradiancefoundation.org. Saturday, the 22nd of January, we'll um, right about there, 21st is the actual date marking the anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. And every day, every year, we get inches closer to reversing that and sparing lives. Ryan Bomberger, information on the web, theradiancefoundation.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Uh, just a quick interesting sidebar here, looking at some news uh, during the break. And uh, longtime listeners of the program know that many years ago I had the, uh, the opportunity to do a very crazy thing and travel to North Korea. And I was, <laughs> I was just reading a news story that uh, they held a big rally today in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea, attended by tens of thousands of people. You want to guess the theme of the rally? It's to help garner support for the entire North Korean people to fight against COVID. <laughs> let's 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 fight COVID by having a massive super spreader event. We'll get tens of thousands of people. Who sat down in that planning meeting and said, "I got an idea." <laughs> <laughs> At least it was outdoors. We'll give them credit for that. Oh, an amazing little uh, dangerous country, to be sure. All right, let's uh, let's turn a corner to a uh, closer to home and, quite frankly, even more frightening story. It is the story of a bill passed by the California State Legislature that is currently before the governor for signature. This has been paraded as, well, we need to have some law put in place that does not unduly take advantage of impoverished individuals that are just standing on a street corner minding their own business. And while on the surface that might seem to be a good idea, the real impact of Senate Bill 357, if indeed signed into law in California, would be far more insidious and, quite frankly, dangerous. To help tell us why, Dr. Stephanie Powell joins us, Director of Law Enforcement Training and Survivor Services at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And, and this, this bill, and I remember, Dr. Powell, thank you for being with us, by the way, we had you on the program when this was still being considered by the California State Legislature as to how dangerous that was. They've gone ahead and passed this piece of nonsense. Now the governor may potentially sign it, and at the end of the day, all it seems to do is not only significantly reduce the ability of law enforcement to address um, prostitution, but the exploitation of women that may have only that one opportunity of a chance encounter with a peace officer who shows up asking questions about what they're doing loitering may be the only opportunity that they have to escape from a, a, a pimp or someone that is engaged in, in ex sexually exploiting them, and rather than increasing the ability of law enforcement to use a tool like that, Senate Bill 357 seeks to take it away. It's shocking. You, uh, you are absolutely right. You are so on point. Um, I, I think what people need to understand is that the only way that they can under, to understand SB 357 is to fully understand the penal code that they're trying to repeal 
which is 653.22. And if it's repealed, law enforcement will not have a legal standing to approach a person or a suspect that is perceived to be loitering with the intention of prostitution, and therefore allowing even more violent felony offenses to go undetected. Not to mention someone that might be missing, someone that might be in trouble, um, because you have to have probable cause to stop someone. So you're taking that away. You know, what's problematic about this is we, we had a DA in San Francisco, Terrence Hallinan, who recently passed away. Um, he tried to do something quite similar. Um, he wanted to reduce arrests. His argument was, well, prostitution is a victimless crime. Boy, talk about totally ignorant of exactly what drives this quote-unquote industry to somehow suggest that women or men, for that matter, go into this voluntarily. They woke up one day and said, I know how I'm going to make some good money. I want a career in prostitution. I mean, the way in which it denies the realities of the kind of pain and suffering that these people face, not least of which to mention that it is typically the one arena in the sex trafficking world that people are driven into because for the the pimps out there, this is how they make their money. Oh, yeah. No, a- absolutely. And studies have shown that when you speak to people that are in the life, regardless of whether they're a human trafficking survivor or that they're in prostitution, they want to escape it. They want other alternatives in order to live uh, a fulfilled life like all of us want to have. Wow. So now we're kind of on the razor's edge. This has been passed by the California State Legislature and is currently in front of the governor for his signature. To your knowledge, Dr. Powell, has there at all been any indication from the governor's office as to how he intends to address this bill? There's been, I have um, no clue. There's been no clue in terms of what he's going to do, but I can tell you this is that um, people wanted veto. And there's been letters that have been sent to him to veto this bill. The one thing, I, and, you, and you started at the beginning of your program, is that the, um, the people that are in support of it talk about the fact that um, uh, they believe that law enforcement has used this to harass uh, marginalized people. But the other part of this that people, um, that, that no one's really talking about, is that it's, um, 653.22 is not just for those that are soliciting for prostitution. It's also sex buyers would get immunity, and it talks about procurement. The procurement is the um, is the pimp aspect of it. So those things would become legal if this thing is signed. So it is really our hope. And we can keep making those last-minute phone calls to have the governor veto this bill. Well, that certainly, I think, is the, the, the going to be the most easiest route in terms of relief from this nonsense. Uh, because short of that, then we're going to be looking at the necessity for a, um, a, a lawsuit for, for a legal court challenge. So at this point, then, the recommendation uh, you would recommend, uh, Dr. Powell, is folks need to get on the phone and uh, hop on uh, the Internet and send email to the governor's office and urge Governor Newsom to veto Senate Bill 357? Yes, sir, because a lot of people don't even know that this bill is 
even in existence. And I think that that's what um, um, those the supporters are hoping for. So, yes, we need uh, people to make phone calls, write, um, let them know that you don't want this in, in your neighborhood. You don't want this for anybody. So, again, uh, related to Senate Bill 357, this would severely limit law enforcement's ability to identify victims of human trafficking. Oftentimes, these women that are absolutely terrified, uh, the, the, the opportunity for them to, to be able to reach out and get help is extremely limited. But if they have a little bit of engagement with a peace officer on the street questioning why they're standing on the street corner at 3 o'clock in the morning, it opens a window of opportunity to potentially rescue them from the grip of their captors. This is exactly the kind of tool that this bill sees or, or would attempt to take away from police officers. So it's urgent that you reach out to the governor's office. You can call him at area code 916-445-2841. That's 916-445-2841. And uh, when they answer, just say you're a concerned citizen, you're a California taxpayer, and you're calling to urge the governor to veto Senate Bill 357. That's Senate Bill 357. Of course, email, always encourage, an easy way, just shoot a quick line. Doesn't have to be war and peace. One sentence, Governor Newsom, this is a dangerous bill. Please veto Senate Bill 357. Again, via email or by calling the governor's office in Sacramento at 916-445-2841. Our thanks to Dr. Stephanie Powell for that update. And you can get more information about Dr. Powell's good work online at endsexualexploitation.org. That's endsexualexploitation.org. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's get you a look at some headline news. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.